0: One Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is one God who is Father of all. Is... This is the Holy Family Chapel Hill Podcast, where you will find our weekly sermons as well as the occasional reflection, conversation, or interview. We are glad you are here, welcome. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. To me, says Paul, living is Christ and dying is gain. I do not know which I prefer. That is a pretty extraordinary thing to say so matter-of-factly. Live, die, Hmm. which one? It is possible to hear those words as the words of someone who has reached their limit and no longer has the energy to care whether they live or die. Or rather, it would be possible to hear them that way if it weren't for the context, which for Paul is joy. Over and over again, all through his letter to the Philippians, Paul insists on joy, rejoice, make my joy complete. I will continue with you for your joy in faith. Joy, joy, joy. And this from a man in prison contemplating possible execution. We might also think, well, this is just Paul being Paul. He is a zealot after all and does nothing by half measures. Except, again, it's not just him. He fully expects those to whom he writes to step into the same river, to be immersed in and saturated with joy right along with him, life or death notwithstanding. Paul isn't joyful because he is zealous. He's joyful because he is free. In response to my question about how do we discern to what God is calling us, a wise priest once replied, Well, Jesus calls us to freedom and joy. I agree with her 100%, but I also know that it took the Israelites 40 years in the wilderness to get from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. That is not because God couldn't lead them there in a straight line. It's because just as peace is more than the absence of conflict, so is freedom more than the absence of servitude. Freedom, as God intends it, is the taking on of a whole new identity. And it didn't take hold of the Israelites right away. It took a couple of generations for them to stop looking back over their shoulders, longing for the flesh pots of Egypt and an identity that was awful, but at least familiar. Apparently, God didn't have time for Paul to wander in the wilderness His new identity knocked him right off his feet on the road to Damascus, leaving him sightless and stunned. By the time he could see again three days later, he was a new person. And now he writes to the Philippians as a man located in Christ, not in prison. He is free, no matter his external circumstances. And that is the source of his joy. We began this morning praying that God might grant us not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. It is not for nothing that this prayer is included in our prayer book. In my experience, not being anxious requires God's grace. My intention is definitely not sufficient to the cause. But I have seen that grace. I have seen the face of an elderly, blind monk who belongs to the most ascetic of monastic orders. And his face, just his face, is one of the most compelling witnesses for the life of faith that I have ever seen. He radiates joy, utterly silent, utterly joyful, all at the same time. He lives a life bound by the strictest of daily disciplines, absolutely devoid of creature comforts. And yet to see him is to long for what he clearly has. That is what freedom, the true freedom God intends, looks like. Paul has that. He has that same non-anxious freedom that is completely independent of where he is or what his present circumstances might be. Because remember, where Paul is when he's writing this letter is in prison, and how Paul is... Is sick. To outward appearances, things look pretty dire. It's not at all clear that he's going to get out alive. In fact, it seems more likely that he will be executed than not. So, why the joy? Why the apparent indifference to whether he lives or dies, or actually not indifference, but an actual preference for dying? Is Paul delusional? Is he trying to be brave? He's not. What he is, is free. Paul is so firmly anchored in Christ that he knows down to his very bones that there is nowhere he can be, no part of his life or death that is not in Christ. He is so confident in Jesus, so sure he will be gathered up by his Savior that time has become nonlinear for him. He is speaking from the vantage point of eternity. He is with Jesus now, He will be with Jesus in the future. Death for Paul is only a gateway to drawing even closer to the Lord. In the meantime, his life has one purpose and one purpose only, to point to Jesus with everything he's got so the rest of us can live there too. The Eucharistic prayer included in the Book of Common Prayer's burial rite includes a line that says, Life is changed, not ended, which always makes me uncomfortable because, you know, death. We come to bury someone precisely because their life as we know it is ended. But that's not what it means. It means what Paul means, that to be in Christ is to be located in eternal life. It's not a denial of death, It means a fundamental reorientation of all we understand about living and dying, knowing that no matter where we are or how we are, we are always navigating in the light of Christ, God's morning star. That is not to say that real Christians don't grieve and shouldn't be sad at funerals. Death is still the enemy, and God himself took it on for our sake. It is to say that Christian joy isn't an absence of sadness or a relentless cheerfulness based on a denial of reality. Christian joy reckons with the world as it is, in light of God as God is. Our God-given joy is nurtured as Paul's is by the disciplined practice of giving thanks. There lives the dearest freshness deep down things, the poet says. The surface of our lives' waters may be troubled or storm-tossed, but they run deep. For all the brokenness and sorrow in the world around us, we are in Christ. We are anchored in joy. Paul does also say, God has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. And we want to be very careful about this. This is not an endorsement of suffering for suffering's sake. This does not mean that our response to people suffering abuse or oppression or lack or the devastation of war or natural disaster should be to let them alone because, after all, suffering is good. That is not what Paul is saying. The suffering Paul is talking about is bound up with the freedom of knowing himself always to be in Christ. We suffer because, like Jesus, we are compassionate. Literally, we suffer with, which is a form of God's grace. The suffering Paul describes as privilege comes with being bound to our neighbors in Haiti or in Chapel Hill or at Holy Family, suffering with the neighbor in whom we love and serve Christ. That kind of suffering is a way of bearing witness, standing with one another, offering ourselves as a signpost to the one who suffered and died that we might always live with him. And when we suffer, we suffer because Christ loved us first and suffered for us. It is a sign of God's gracious word. It is a sign for us and for the world that we do, in fact, live and move and have our being in God. To me, Paul says... Living is Christ and dying is gain. That is where Paul lives. Paul is free because Paul is in Christ, as are we. Jesus does call us to freedom and joy. Will we accept? Amen. you for joining us today. You can find out more about the Church of the Holy Family at holyfamilychapelhill.org. Thanks for listening, and join us again next week. Peace be with you.